Amen, church. He is worthy. Amen. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to continue our series through the gospel of John. If you grab the Bible under the seat in front of you, it should be on page 902. We'll be looking at John chapter 15, verses 18 through chapter 16, verse 4, for our time together this morning. The word of God reads, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples in the upper room right before he's betrayed. The word of God reads, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that we have his words recorded for us in the scriptures, in this gospel. That we know the things that Jesus said to his apostles, that we might hear them, that we might hear your words, Lord Jesus, and be benefited by them, be encouraged by them, be strengthened by them. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Speak, O Lord, this morning. Feed us from your holy word. Lord, take the truths of your word. Plant them deep in us, we ask, so that you can shape and fashion us into the likeness of your Son by the power of your Spirit the glory of the Father. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Church, friends, having the right expectations can make a huge difference in life. Because our church loves having children so much, I'll illustrate that by mentioning the number one best-selling pregnancy book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. One summary of this book uh, called it the Bible of American Pregnancy. It, it, it attempts to walk you through everything that you need to know before you, you're pregnant, 
or if you're preparing for pregnancy, and then all the different developmental stages throughout as well. Even a section of the book has a chapter devoted to each month of the pregnancy. And, and the whole point of the book is to get you as ready as you can be for the joyous yet difficult road ahead. In the second month, this book noted, uh, writes down a number of things to expect when you're expecting. In the second month of pregnancy, expect heartburn, indigestion, food aversions, food cravings, breakouts, dry skin, mood swings, depressions, panic attacks even. <laughs> I hope none of you had the panic attacks. Uh, in the fifth month, it, it, it lists among other things, expect dizziness, backache, abdominal aches, foot growth. I didn't know about that one. <laughs> foot growth, is that a thing? Uh, but foot growth and fast growing hair and nails. And they say, as scary as it may sound, it is only the usual thing to happen. <laughs> In the sixth month, among other things, you're told to expect, uh, you are to expect sleeping troubles, protruding navel, itchy belly, clumsiness, numbness in the hands, and leg cramps. And it goes on and on, chapter after chapter. And then finally, in the ninth month, this author writes, the month you've been waiting for, working toward, and possibly worrying about just a little bit, <laughs> he says, worrying about just a little bit is here this month is here at long last. Chances are you're at once very ready to hold that baby, to see your toes again, to sleep on your stomach, and at the same time, not ready at all. But at least you know what to expect. <laughs> I love that. Y'all need to go thank your mom after that, right? Thank you, mom. <laughs> my wife, thank you to my wife. She's not in here right now, but thank you, Joe. You went through all that. <laughs> she went through it four times, right? And, and so go, go thank the, the mothers uh, in, your, in your life for that. They went through so much. They went through all of what was described there and more. They suffered and endured all of that that they might faithfully bear you. What a precious ministry. What a service. What a gift that through all that pain, they might bring forth the precious fruit of their womb, little imago days that had been knit together in the womb that would grow up to be bigger imago days. When I say imago days, I mean the image, image bearers, little, little images of God that they would grow and they would serve and they would help and they, they would bless many others. It's an incredible gift, but it's a gift that's provided and it's a fruit that's born only through much labor and through much difficulty. And so having the right expectations when entering into all that is crucial. And I think it's crucial for enduring faithfully. Uh, expectations are, are, it's not just something that, that we need to consider when it comes to pregnancy, but it's also something we need to consider in all sorts of areas of life. And the same truths that I'm speaking about here apply directly as well to following Jesus. We want to know what to expect when we follow Jesus. Because I promise you, there is heartache, there is trouble, there is disaster for those who want to say that I'm going to follow Jesus, yet they are not expecting what Jesus expects of them. Or they have the wrong expectations of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so they are anxious and so they are distracted. And so they are overcome with fears. And when difficulties and trials come, they don't know what to do. And their joy is sapped. And they begin to be just a people that are always grumbling and complaining. I believe that if we are going to recover a faithfulness that is enduring and joyful, it has to be through going back to Jesus, listening to his words, and hearing the expectations he has for us. And if you're here, this sermon is not only for believers, because if you're here and you're even thinking about following Jesus, then this is crucial for you because one of the things Jesus says, before you follow me, you need to count the cost. And so 
by looking at these expectations, you're going to be able to count the cost and whether or not it's worth it, whether or not you should follow Jesus or not. And maybe if you're here and you're like, I'm not really thinking about following Jesus, I'm quite happy not following Jesus, well then this sermon is for you too. Because you need to count the cost of not following Jesus. You need to hear the words that Jesus says in this passage. And so for the believer, for the non-believer, this passage is, is, is profitable and able to make us wise for salvation, wise for sanctification. I think that when you look at some of the most godly men and women who have had tremendously fruitful lives, who endured underneath great trial and tribulation, there's something that they have in common. And I believe it's that they had the expectations that Jesus talks about in this passage. They had it engraved on their hearts. They had it, they had it stamped onto their foreheads. They had it written on the tablets of their heart. And so when difficulty, when trials, when trouble came their way, when persecution came their way, they, maybe they didn't feel ready completely, but they at least knew what to expect. And so what are these expectations? Jesus says at the end of our passage, I have said all of these things to keep you from falling away. So these expectations are crucial for the believer in order to remain faithful, to remain steadfast, and to follow Jesus and not fall away, but to endure in service to him. So the main idea of this passage, you could see it in your bulletin, is that we see four expectations every follower of Jesus needs to lay to heart so that they will not fall away, but be patient, faithful, and joyful as they serve Christ. You have some blanks to be filled as you go, so I'm going to make you, make you work for these points as usual. But the first one is this. The first expectation that you need to lay to your heart if you're going to follow Jesus is that you will be hated. Expect to be hated. From the beginning, Jesus wants his disciples to know as he's speaking to them in the upper room, as he's commanded them to love one another, his expectation of the disciples is, is that the disciples are going to love one another. And then right after that, he goes into this section where he speaks about, oh, and by the way, you are going to be hated. Expect to be hated. We see this as Jesus begins speaking in verses 18 and 19. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you get it? First expectation, expect to be hated. If you're going to follow Jesus, the hatred spoken here is an attitude of animosity and hostility and rejection from the world, from the non-believing people of the world. And Jesus is not ever one to do a bait and switch. He informs his disciples and tells them exactly what they need to expect from the beginning. He's telling them the world is going to hate you. Look, I'm sending you out into icy conditions. Pack accordingly. Bring your jacket. The world is going to hate you. Now, obviously, being hated by the world is not a comfortable thing. It's not an easy thing. It can be incredibly discouraging and even heartbreaking. There's people who have experienced tremendous loss, both from losing family members to having people turn their backs on them, hating them for no reason. But Jesus is preparing his disciples that they must endure patiently and faithfully. In order to do that, they need to expect to be hated. Now within that broad expectation, we see a comfort, see a couple comforts here. The first word of comfort in, in Jesus' 
promise or expectation that you will be hated is what Jesus says right here. He says, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So even though he's saying expect to be hated, he offers us a word in comfort in the fact that he's saying, know that it is hate, that the world has hated me before it hated you. In other words, when you are in this world, this world that you don't, that, that, that does not love you, that hates you, that rejects you, doesn't want anything to do with you, you get to have a sweet and precious reminder and comfort in the midst of that because you know who you are following. Jesus says, know that it hated me before it hated you. So, so Jesus saying, I was here before you. I was doing this ministry before you. And what did they do to me? How did they treat me? So if they're treating you the same way they treated me, then be encouraged. You're following me. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't think, oh, I, I must have shared the gospel wrong. I must, I must not have it all down pat like the, they, got, they got upset and mad when I told them to repent of their sin and that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and that, that, that sexual morality is a sin and that you, you can't just you know, choose whatever you want to choose and you can't just be whatever you want to be. But, but I love Jesus and because of that, I'm telling you these things and the world hates you. The world hates you. And they reject you, and they laugh at you, and they mock at you, and they think you're ridiculous, think you're antiquated, they think you're on the wrong side of history, and they're about ready to cancel you. Be encouraged, be comforted. Jesus says, they hated me before they hated you. So let it be a reminder of who you are following. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you. Listen closely to this. For, so this, this idea of being granted to you is a grace gift from God to you. Let's listen to what he says here. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. So faith is a gift from God. But also one other thing, he says, but also suffer. For his sake. Paul's saying that same God has given you the, this gracious gift that you would believe and that also you would suffer for him. Why is that a gift? Because in suffering, you are reminded of who you are following. But there's another comfort here. Jesus would go on in verse 19. He says, if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, what's, what's comforting about that, Jesus? Well, the comforting thing about that is that when you're hated, you have again a sweet reminder, not only of who you are following, but also who you belong to. So when people hate you, and when people reject you, and when people attack you, when, when people want to destroy you, when they get mad at you, when they cut you off, when they don't talk to you anymore, when they gossip behind your back about you, when they do all of those things, Jesus is saying, be encouraged, be comforted, rejoice. It's showing that you belonged to me. You belong to me. You don't belong to this world. If you belonged to the world, they would love you. If you belonged to the world, you would, you would tell the world, world, you're just amazing and perfect. <laughs> you, everything you're doing, world, is exactly great. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. We're all going to make it. That's what the world wants you to hear. So then when you don't tow the party line, <laughs> expect the world to hate you. But when it hates you, know that it's a reminder of who you belong to. You belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. 
So are you scared? Are you timid? Are you feeling pressure of rejection? Are you feeling alone? Are you grieved by rejection or hostility or, or intimidation as you tell people about Jesus or as you encounter family members and friends and, and co-workers and, and you fear what they think of you? Remember and preach and be bold and share and suffer it all. Knowing who you are following and who you belong to. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, he says, For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And he says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So foundational expectation, you will be hated. You will love Christ. You will live to the glory of Christ. You will preach Christ. You will not care about man's approval. Friends, man's approval is fleeting. Man is like grass that just, just fades away, right? It's just gone in a, in a second and in an instant. Why would you seek the approval of grass? Why would you seek the approval of dust? How much better to seek the approval of the one who spoke all of that into existence? What are we doing being afraid? What are we doing fearing man? The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord, Jesus Christ, endures forever. May it never be so for us examine your heart this morning are you seeking man's approval at work at home at the family dinners with the in-laws with the cousins with the extended family are you seeking man's approval have you been ashamed of christ and sharing christ what are you saying to people when you spend time with people what are you doing with people when you spend time with them? What, what are your conversations about? What are the things that you're posting online? What are the emails that, that you're sending? What are the things you're blogging? What is, what is any of that? What is it? Is it about Christ? Is it about seeking his approval? Or is it about seeking the approval of man? May we not shrink back. May we be encouraged. When we're hated, it's a reminder of who we're following and who we belong to and that we should live for the glory of God and not the approval of man. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 12, writing about the Pharisees. The apostle John says, for they love the glory that is of men more than the glory that is from God. That's disastrous. And so that's why our first expectation must be, you will be hated. But that's a confirmation of who you're following and who you belong to. Second expectation, you will be persecuted. You will be persecuted. Jesus says here, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And if we jump down and look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, he gives specific examples here. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. The synagogues were like the churches of their days. You're going to get kicked out. And actually, this is a crazy thing. I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, there would be a point where the synagogues would begin in their synagogue services to pronounce a curse on all those who follow Jesus of Nazareth that their names would be blotted out of the book of life. Can you worship in that service when that's going on? No, so that was their way to get followers of Jesus out. They couldn't cast them out. Then they'd make them sit and pronounce a curse upon themselves in their services. This is the th some of the things that the early Jewish believers faced. Jesus says, they will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known my father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 
So expect to be hated and expect to be persecuted. When we speak of persecution, we speak of not just an attitude of anger and hatred, but actual violent acts and words brought forth to assault believers in Jesus, to intimidate them, to discourage them, to do anything that they can to get us to shut up. Jesus says, you will be hated and you will be persecuted. But even in this, we are given a comfort and we're reminded in our persecutions of who we are serving. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So let me ask you a question. If, you, Jesus, if, if you're saying that Jesus is your master, and if you're saying that you are Jesus's servant, then what does it mean for the servants of the master to say, I'm, I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to face any persecution. I'm going to travel the road of ease and compromise, you know, the one that has no risks, the, the road where it won't cost me anything, where I won't have to be made fun of, where I won't have to be rejected, where I won't have to be attacked, where I won't have to be stoned. If that's the life that you're going after, then you think that you are greater than your master. Your master suffered. Your master humbled himself. Your master took off the robe and got down and he washed his disciples' feet. Your master did not think it below him to come and to lay down his life for others. And that cost him his life to do that, to preach and to point out their sin and to tell the truth to them. It cost him everything and he suffered. And he's our master and we're his servants. So we prove that we are his servants in our suffering for him. Jesus says here that I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done the works among them that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. What's Jesus saying here? He came and he testified that he was the son sent by the father to come and to save sinners, that he was the promised Messiah, that he is the Son of God and the Messiah. He is Lord, and he is Christ. This is the one the scriptures wrote about. This is the one the scriptures prophesied about. This is the one who fulfills all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And the very people, his own people, the Jewish people that he came to, to save rejected him and they were guilty of a great grave sin they rejected the messiah that they had been taught about since childhood they rejected the messiah which they themselves had been waiting for and talking about at dinner times they themselves rejected the one promised to save them from their sins and they charged him with blasphemy. Yet, all their hatred, all their attacks, all the times that they tried to trap Jesus did nothing but expose their own spiritual blindness and their own sin. And so all of their attacks and all of their rejection was based in nothing of substance. They hated him without cause. If you do not receive Jesus, you reject Jesus. There's no on the fence, like, uh, you know, 
I'm kind of in the middle. No, if you haven't received him, then you're currently in the state of rejecting him. And if you're rejecting Jesus, then you're also rejecting the Father. And Jesus says, whoever hates me hates my Father. If you are not loving Jesus, then you are hating Jesus. And if you're hating Jesus, then you're hating the Father. What? The stakes are high, friends. You have to come to realize this. You have to count the cost. If you will not receive the Son, believe in the Son, love the Son, accept the Son, you will not get the Father. You will not get the Father's love. You will only get the Father's wrath. But it doesn't have to be that way. So I would plead with you, if you're here and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can have forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with your father if you will accept me as his son. You will be saved, you will be justified, you will be cleansed, you will be given the spirit of God, you will be made new, you will have eternal life, you will know the Father, you will have the Son, and you will have the Spirit. And you will have the church. This beautiful group right here. Come to Christ. The stakes are high. Count the cost of of not following him. Jesus, as he exposed the sin of those in his day, does the same thing through the preaching of his word. People think, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the middle until they realize Jesus says, if you are not with me, then you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. Are you gathering with Jesus? Are you gathering with Jesus? So expect to be hated Expect to be persecuted. When you're gathering people with Jesus, the rest of the people of the world are not going to like that. The darkness is not going to like that. Family members and friends do not like it when their close friends stop sinning with them. I got no one to drink with anymore. I got no one to get high with anymore. I got no one to enjoy this sin. I got no one to look at pornography with anymore. They hate it. Bring people to Christ and you will find many enemies. You will find many people talking about you. There's even the this, this statement in the scripture, woe to you if all people speak well of you. Expect to be hated. Expect to be persecuted. If you want the easy life, if you want the life free of all suffering, if you want the life free of all difficulty, the life free of all persecution, you can have it. But I assure you that it's on the broad road. It's on the broad road that leads to destruction. But if you'll come to Christ and you'll live for Christ and you will suffer and be hated for Christ, then you will find yourself on that narrow road. And he will tell you one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Know that you will be hated. Know that you will suffer. You guys, only a fool enters into a war zone thinking nothing bad is going to happen to him. Like, bro, where's your helmet? What are you doing? Get down. Get your head down. Where's your weapon? Where, where, what do you think you're doing out here? Like, there's, there's stuff that's about to be shot at us, and you're, you're just walking around here thinking everything's going to be just fine? No, we're in a war zone. Get ready. Be prepared. Expect to fight. Expect the battle. Get your shield up. Get your helmet on, and keep your head down, and fight, and press on. This leads to the third expectation. Expect to be hated, expect to be persecuted, and third, expect to be helped. And somebody say amen after that. (laughs) Aren't you glad that you're not doing that alone? Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, but when the helper comes, hallelujah for a helper, Lord. I cannot fight on my own. Like, I'm weak. Nathan's seen me in the gym. I'm weak. <laughs> I need a helper. Like, I, I, can't, I can't do anything. I can barely defend my home, like, with a gun. Like, I need a helper for this spiritual fight. 
Jesus promises exactly that for his disciples. He says here that when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit is our helper, you guys. And there's, there's two things. Jesus says that uh, he puts it in the future tense first. He says, this, the helper is the one whom I will send to you. So Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to send to the Father. And then the Father is going to give the Son the authority to pour out his spirit on his people. And to help them and to empower them and to bless them and to guide them. And so that's a future promise of Jesus Uh, of Jesus in this passage. But then I want you to notice, it's interesting, because he says, the helper whom I will send, and then right after that, he he makes a statement that is a present continuous statement. He says, "This I will send you in the future the spirit of truth, and then he says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. What does that mean? It would seem to me to be redundant to say, I will send you the Spirit, and the Spirit will come from the Father. So it seems to me that what's being said here, given the fact that we have that future tense first, and then now this present continuous sense, the idea is that Jesus is communicating to us something important about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit who proceeds from the Father eternally. I mentioned to you guys a few sermons ago about the idea of this doctrine of the eternal generation of the Son, that the Son is begotten of the Father eternally, that, that, that our God is a triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there, that we have a God that is one God and yet three persons, that there is one nature, they all share and hold the same nature, and yet there are three persons who hold and function and act out of that one nature. And so the eternal generation of the Son, to share that definition again, uh, Louis Burkhoff says, it's the eternal and necessary act of the first person in the Trinity, in other words, the Father, whereby he within the divine being or his divine nature is the ground of a second personal subsistence like his own and puts this second person in possession of the whole divine essence without division, alienation, or change. Incredible. Incredible. The same thing that the Father does with the Son in, 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 in putting the Son in possession of the full divine nature, we see also the Father and the Son putting that same divine nature in possession of the Spirit eternally. And so that's what it means that the, fa- or that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, or the Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. I'll give you uh, Burkhoff's definition on the procession, or sometimes called the spiration of the Holy Spirit. It says he may be defined as that eternal and necessary act of the first and second persons. So notice, in in being the eternally begotten, the Father is begetting the Son. The Son is receiving his divine nature from the Father, and that's different than the Holy Spirit, who the Father in the Son causes the Holy Spirit to have that divine nature. And so it's, this is what accounts for the distinction of persons within God. How do we know that the, the Spirit is not just another Son? Why isn't the Spirit ever called only begotten? Because there's a unique relationship happening there that makes the Son the Son and makes the Spirit the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Dig into it more. You'll love it. you love it, I can't get enough of it. Praise God for it all. I don't understand it all, but I praise him for it all. And it guarantees for me one God in three persons. That's what's amazing. The Spirit has always proceeded from the Father and the Son. And check this out. That's your helper. That's who, the one who has eternally proceeded from the Father, eternally dwells in your hearts. Because the Son, according to the will of the Father, has poured him out into our hearts. 
And that's our helper. And he makes us holy. And he makes us righteous. And he testifies about Christ. And every single person who sees Christ and believes in him, that is only due to the fact that the Spirit of God gave us eyes to see, regenerated our hearts, gave us understanding, illumined God's word to us. And and it's just all praise and honor and glory to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Expect to be hated, yes, but expect, and expect to be persecuted, yes, but do not expect to be without help. Oh, you have the most powerful helper. But, but I, I can't share the gospel with anyone. Can you recite John 3.16 to someone? Then you can share the gospel with somebody, and the Holy Spirit can just come and go whack and just slice someone in half through that preaching and just cut their heart in half and save them in that second. But, but I just, you know, stop it. Get the can't. Pull the can't out of your mouth. I don't want to hear it. Ask how. And then answer how with spirit. With the Holy Spirit in you. That's how. By the power of the spirit of the living God. You will be hated and you will be persecuted, but you will be helped. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul says this to Timothy, his protege. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. What would you guess that that is just by hearing that? What is the gift of God? The gift of God is the spirit of God. Look at, look at what it goes on. It says, Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The apostles went and they laid their hands on people and the people had the Holy Spirit of God come upon them. That's what I think he's talking about here with Timothy. And then notice what he says next, right? After he says that this gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, he says in verse seven, for God gave us a spirit, the Holy Spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So if you're fearful, if you're worried, if you're like, I, I know I shouldn't say anything, I'm, I'm scared and I'm going to shrink back, that's not coming from the Spirit of God. It's not. The Spirit of God in you enables you to say, I'm terrified, I'm weak, I'm nothing, but I believe and I'm going to speak. And he tells them to fan it into flame. How do you fan it into flame? He would go on in 2 Timothy and say, Right after that, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. I think you fan into flame the Spirit when you testify of Christ, which is what the Spirit is whole purpose of it being here is when you testify of Christ and when you suffer for his sake. Because when we see the early disciples go and they're told to shut up and they're told to stop preaching Christ and then they're persecuted for it, they go away and they're floating. They're so excited. They're so joyful. They're so thankful. Like we got to be counted worthy to suffer because of the name of Christ. So preach Christ, testify of Christ, Suffer for Christ and see if the Spirit of God doesn't just fill you with joy and excitement for his gospel. That beautiful gospel of his son. And I'm getting my, uh, ahead of myself here, but this last point then is expect to, wit- to witness. Expect to be hated. Expect to suffer. Expect to be helped. But then lastly, expect to bear, to bear witness. I might have mispronounced that first time. Expect to bear witness. In verse 27, we see Jesus say, after saying that the Holy Spirit will bear witness, Jesus says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus, Jesus chose these 12, these 11 in our passage now. And he, expect that he expects them to bear witness for him. As Pastor Kenny mentioned, if you just read the book of Acts, 
in light of these things, you're going to see a bunch of people who suffered a bunch of things. They were hated and they were persecuted, but they had help, didn't they? Wow. Holy Spirit is working even miracles through them to testify to the truthfulness of the gospel at the apostles' hands. It's incredible. Guys, the Holy Spirit is not given to us so that we can laugh and roll around on the ground but so that you can stand and so that in the power of God you can testify and say Christ alone saves. Turn from your sin. Come to him. He will bring you in and forgive all your sin. Expect to bear witness. That's what people with the spirit of God helping them do. That's what they do. That's what the apostles did. And they did it public ministry, they did it private ministry, and they did it through their writing ministry. So that, I mentioned this before, the product of our New Testaments is the product of the Spirit of God through the hands of the apostles. It is inspired, it is God-breathed, it is the truth of God. And it's a deposit that we have so that we can know that the testimony, the faith has been once for all handed over to the saints. That as Paul says, there is a standard of teaching that that we are to be committed to. We have the apostolic instruction. And as the early church was, we should be too, says in Acts chapter 2, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. May we be also. Expect to be hated, expect to be helped, but expect to bear witness. I want to just close by speaking to you if you're here and you're thinking about following Christ. Once again, just come to him. You've heard, you've heard the cost of not following Christ. Come to him. And have eternal life. If you're here and you're thinking that after hearing this message, I've been professing Christ, but I've never really laid those expectations, Pastor, to heart. They've never really taken root in my heart. I've avoided all conflict, I've avoided all persecution. I have drawn back. I've grown so distracted. I've neglected these things to keep them in my heart. I've lost joy. I've lost my first love. Come back today. Run to him today. He's abounding in love and grace. He's full of grace and truth. Confess it to him. Confess it to someone here Share it with a pastor or share it with somebody else. But don't go out of here without saying, Lord, I confess that I haven't had these expectations in my heart. And I'm coming to you today, Lord, asking you to please write them on my heart. Help me to serve you. Help me to live for you. Help me to not be ashamed. Help me, Lord, to bear witness. Jesus said that he wrote all these things so that your joy may be full and that you do not fall away. So here we have them before us. You will be hated. You will be persecuted. You will be helped. You will bear witness. These are the things that you need to know. These are the things you need to expect when you're following Jesus. Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So here he is writing, you guys, in chains under great suffering. He says, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What does Paul think that his suffering is going to bring about in that passage? He believes that his suffering is serving the cause of Christ to save his chosen people and bring them into everlasting salvation. That's why he's suffering. He's suffering, you guys, because 
It's going to bear fruit for the gospel. That's why. Some of you might know Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, where you have Rachel, the barren wife of Jacob, who was absolutely desperate to have a child. And tries, they tried and tried, they couldn't have a child. And she was just so distraught over this. She cried out to her husband, give me children or I'll die. Give me children or I'll die. That's how bad she wanted to have a child. And Charles Spurgeon, in his book, The Soul Winner, says, As Rachel cried, give me children or I die, so may none of you be content to be barren in the household of God. Cry and sigh until you have snatched some brand from the burning and have brought at least one sinner to Christ. Would to God that us as a church would say, give us spiritual children, Lord, or I'll die. That desperate for only something God can do. Lord, please save. Save, oh God, please, for the sake of your name. And let my faithfulness be a part of that, Lord. Let me serve you. Let me suffer for you. Let me Bear fruit for you, God, and so prove to be your disciples. We know the expectations of Christ. And at once, knowing those expectations, we are very ready, and at the same time, not ready at all. But at least you know what to expect. Amen, church? Father, bless your holy you made holy by your Holy Spirit, through your holy arm, your Son. Glorify them and sanctify them and help them to suffer well, joyfully. Lord, help them to have a faith that endures, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.